0: is
1: we're gonna keep ourselves unspotted from the world we're not gonna let ourselves get shady because the world is jacked up we knew it was when we got here our job is not to be thermometers that join the temperature of the culture our job is to be thermostats we set the temperature we say this is what it means to be a follower of jesus this is what it means to be set apart
0: in this world You get to be a trendsetter. You don't have to follow the whims of this culture or the people in it. You can be the one who stands firm in the Lord and helps to set the tone for the community you're in. You could be a thermostat. Today, Pastor Daniel shares this message, one that's both challenging and encouraging. You'll be reminded that God wants you to be strong in him and his ways, to be the one who points the people around you to the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as he continues his message, The Promised King.
1: The thing is, is just the way, if you were to see my daughter Marinath, you'd be like, oh, that's Fusco's daughter. When people see your life, they should say, that's a son or daughter of the king. That's God's kid. Because we are taking on the attributes of our Heavenly Father. But it doesn't only say righteousness and godliness. Look what else it says. Faith. We should be pursuing faith. Now, of course, faith. We believe in God and we, and we are born again and justified because of the finished work of Jesus. But pursuing faith means that we actually activate or put feet on our faith that we walk out in real time in real life. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you in the last six months freaked out about something that never happened? Three of us. Oh yeah! Now, now I was like, Oh no no! <laughs> See, like, like, but with the hindsight, that's twenty twenty. You look back and you're like, Why was I so freaking out about it? that? Never happened. And then you realize I should have trusted God in a situation. Now the reason we don't walk in faith is the future is unknown to us, and we don't know what's going to happen, and left up to our own devices, we go down the rabbit hole of all the worst things that could go on. But when we pursue faith, we say, I do not know what tomorrow holds. And if left up to my own devices, I'm going to freak out because I don't know what's going to happen. But I actually do know the person who holds tomorrow. And I know that no matter what happens, God's good. He's going to do a good work. And that's how we pursue faith in real time. So before we know it, we're we're living into the reality that Jesus is real and that God has a plan, even though I have no clue what that plan might be. And all of a sudden our life changes. See, the good fight is living a, a life of faith in the midst of a world full of doubt. But not only that, notice next, love. We have to pursue love. The love that we're talking about here is that self-sacrificial love. Listen, I'm here to tell you, left to our own devices, humanity does not live with a self-giving love. It's only when we experience it from Jesus that we say, I want to choose to live this out in the world. I want to share of what God has given me so that others can be blessed. We pursue love. Notice the next one. Everyone look down at your Bibles. Pursue patience. (laughs) Circle that in your neighbor's Bible right there. You gotta pursue patience. Because I know what's gonna happen. You're gonna go to Christmas Eve dinner and you're always hoping, man, I hope Uncle Johnny ain't there. He's a pain in the rump. Now, if you're Uncle Johnny, I'm sorry, they didn't tell me about you. I just knew. No, I'm just kidding. But like, so much of life We have our own sense of timing, our own sense of what we want, when we want it. But really, patience is the ability to rest in God when God's timing is different. And I'm quite sure that for all of us, there is the need to pursue patience right now. And then the last quality that we should be pursuing because of Jesus, because we want to fight the good fight is gentleness. Now I think every time gentleness comes up in my Bible right now, I feel like it's like God takes his, his spotlight in in my Bible and puts it on the word gentleness because I am so aware that our culture today knows nothing of gentleness. Everybody I know is more aggressive with other people and more sensitive when it relates to them. That's our cultural issue right now everyone is way too sensitive about everything as it relates to themselves, but way aggressive when it relates to somebody else. So you, people come at people all the time. I can't believe they would do that. And then you say, well, I can't believe you did. Ah, oh, there you say that about me? And that's our culture. All complaints, all issues, but God forbid anyone says you have an issue and then they freak out. You wounded me. Oh. And here's what I want to tell you. My, for 2000 years in our Bibles, it says we should be gentle. What does it look like to pursue gentleness? Gentleness with yourself. Gentleness with others. Not wanting to be aggressive with others, but saying, listen, we're all in the process. You got a speck in your eye, got a lumber yard in my eye. It's something that we pursue. And if you want to fight the good fight of faith, it's about leaving bes- behind things that are not eternal, that are inconsequential in the long run, and pursuing these virtues that have eternal consequences. And what's beautiful about this is, notice what he says, fight the good fight of faith, this is verse 12, lay hold of eternal life. So this fight of faith, this good fight, it's about eternity. It's not about temporary things. It's about eternal things. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, his last of his writings says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I love this. The Apostle Paul's about to be martyred for his faith. And he's like telling Timothy, listen, I fought the good fight. I've kept my faith, my race. I'm I'm, I'm on the last lap. And I know that when my race is done, there is this crown of righteousness laid up for me. That word crown in the Greek, it's it's a victor's crown. He knows Jesus won this race for me, and he has a crown for me because I finished the race well. And not only is the crown for me, it's for all who have trusted in him. So brothers and sisters, listen, no matter where you are on that journey, say, listen, I'm running that race. I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to flee the old stuff, the stuff that holds me back, and I'm going to pursue the things that make for eternity. That's the first step. Now, look at what happens next. Verse 13. It says, I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. Now, I want you to notice this. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight and refers him back at the end of 12 that he confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Do you see that? And then it talks about Jesus in verse 13 who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. you see that? So Timothy had a confession. Jesus had a confession. But I don't want you to miss that. Timothy has a confession Jesus has a confession, and actually all of us are called to have a similar confession, but we're going to get there. But what is he saying here? He's telling Timothy something that's very important that I think he's also telling us, is that you and I, we need to stay set apart. You need to stay set apart. Now, notice, I get this, verse 14, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, Until our Lord Jesus Christ appeared. That without spot and blameless. This talks about being set apart. Now, I think this is very, very important because every single day of all of our lives, there is this push towards conformity to something. Maybe it's to what your parents thought. Maybe it's what society thinks. And all of us are grappling with this idea that there is this push towards conformity. How many of you remember the movie Dead Poets Society? Some of you are going to be like, I never heard that one. It was a classic movie. Robin Williams, famous actor, no longer with us. He was in that movie. And there's this great scene in there where he's a teacher at this all-boys school. And he wants to teach the boys about conformity. So he had like eight guys start walking in a circle. And within about 10 seconds, they're all walking in stride with one another. And what's amazing is you can see this all over the place that people just kind of fall in conformity to what's going on around them. Now, here's the deal, is that for all of us, Our culture is asking us to conform to what it wants, right? And there is a push towards conformity. Now, the only problem with conformity, of course, is as all of you already know, every single generation has got some things right and some things wrong. Can I get an amen? So I'm looking out for you. Okay. And now I'm going to ask you a question and you have to be honest because it's church, And if you're not honest, God will judge you. No, I'm just kidding. He won't judge you. But I want you to be honest. Okay, ready? Here's the question. How many of you, when you were younger, thought your parents had no clue what was going on? Go ahead, raise your hand. Oh yeah, a lot of hands. And then a lot of people are like, my mom is right there. My dad's there. I had a couple eyebrows, like, oh yeah, I'm raising my eyebrows. Now, what's funny is, for those of you who are older, when you were younger, you looked at your parents and you're like, my parents have no clue what's going on right now, right? I remember some of you, you some of you guys were the hippies. Remember that when you guys were hippies? Before we called you boomers, you were hippies, right? And like, and you thought, man, everything was wrong. They did everything wrong. We had to fix all this stuff. And then sure enough, and you tried to fix everything. You got some things good and some things bad. And then you all had kids. And all all your kids are like, my parents are nuts. (laughs) Like, why would they want to live that way? Right? And so then they're like, oh man, my parents are all messed up. And and so they're trying to fix all the things that their parents got wrong. And now we live in our day and age today where the younger generation is saying, everyone's crazy. This this is all messed up and they are trying to fix everything. Right? And guess what? Some of the stuff is good and some of the stuff's not good. And they're going to try to fix it. But if you do the math, and if the Lord tarries for a while, at some point, all the young people, y'all gonna have babies. And you know what your babies are gonna say to you? You guys are nuts. What were you thinking? I always think about this, because I love my grandma. My grandma, she's, oh, she's so dear to my heart. She's 95 years old. And I remember when all of me and my sisters and all of, our, all of her grandkids started having babies. And we'd be with grandma, and grandma would be like, you know, the baby would be crying because the baby's teeth, and my grandma would be like, you know what you should do? We can fix that. Put a little bourbon on her gums. And everyone's like, Gigi, you can't put bourbon on a baby's gums. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she's like, and the baby's crying. She's like, oh, just roll the baby over on her stomach. She'll fall right to sleep. And every mom is like, you can't put a baby on her stomach. My grandma's like, it's amazing you all made it this far. must have killed you earlier. But, like, but the wisdom of back in the day... Today, imagine you went to the doctor today and they, and they put bleaches on you to bloodlet you. Like you're sick to like put a bleach on you. That's how they used to do medicine. Like over time, you learn more things. And I bring this up because we're living in a day and age now where depending on where you sit in the, in the spectrum of things, you are being forced to conform to a certain view. And I'm here to tell you, in the future, everyone's going to look back on the cultural conformity that you're being plugged into, and people are going to say, that's nuts. So why would we choose to be conformed into what we already know is an imperfect way of being, or we can say, I want to be conformed in the likeness of Jesus, who was so perfect and always did those things that pleased his father, that when they tried to kill Jesus, death had to give him back. And for the follower of Jesus... The choice for conformity, it's a non-starter. I don't want to be like this world. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like Christians caught up in the divisions of today. Jesus was a unifier by his self-sacrifice. I don't want to be somebody who aligns myself with some political party that we'll look back on later and think they were all out to lunch. Because my politics is in heaven, not on earth. My politics are love no matter what. Not division and hatred. Brothers, who are you conforming into right now? The Bible's clear. We need to stay set apart. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. And if you don't believe me, we just read the book of James and studied it together as a church family. Listen to what James says. This is James chapter one, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I love that. He's saying real faith in Jesus. The good fight of faith is, one, helping people who are the most vulnerable. Because in that culture, widows and orphans were the most vulnerable. That's why one of the things I love so much about the Crossroads family, we are relentless in serving the most vulnerable. You know, we, we had our, our, our staff, there's all these refugee families. We, we brought presents to 22 refugee families right before this gathering. Literally, like... With all that went on in Afghanistan, they're moving people into into our area, and we're like, man, we have Christmas presents for them. Can you imagine your very first Christmas, you're in a place, you don't don't know the language, you don't know how anything works, you've never been here before, and now all of a sudden, you have to live here. It's like, we love serving the most vulnerable, because we see it in our Bibles. When someone's vulnerable, it's not a political issue, it is a spiritual issue first. And as Christians, we always say, what does my Bible say about this? This is why I get so frustrated in our day and age because the good fight is being subverted for politics just to win the next election. How many of you thought that the president, four presidents ago was was lousy? You're like, who's the one? Everyone. What about the one before that? I was talking to my grandma the other day. She's so funny. She's like, I'm 95. She know what I know? She's like, I couldn't believe she said it. She's like, actually, I'm not gonna say it. She just said, (laughs) She said, listen, it's just one knucklehead after the other. That's what she said. She's like, I've been at this a long time. It's one knucklehead after the other. They have different parties, same party. It's one knucklehead after the other. And I was like, grandma, that's so true. She's like, but that's why we believe in Jesus, right? I'm like, yeah, grandma. Because that's why we believe in Jesus. Why we put our hope in a bunch of knuckleheads. There's one, there's the last knucklehead, the next knucklehead. We pray for all of them. We ask that God give them wisdom, all of them, whoever's in office, but we all realize they're knuckleheads. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Have I offended you yet? Yes, Yes, amen. (laughs) But here's the deal. When you keep yourself unspotted from the world, you don't let the fact that they're a knucklehead keep you from praying for them and loving them. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and God doesn't stop loving us because we're knuckleheads, he leans in because he's like, I'm not done with that person yet. We keep hope no matter what because God is the God of all hope. We keep peace no matter what because God is the God of peace. We keep love no matter what because God is love. And we keep hope no matter what because he's the God of all hope. And so for us, we just keep moving forward and we say, as all this stuff gets all crazy around us, we're gonna keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We're not gonna let ourselves get shady because the world is jacked up. We knew it was when we got here. Our job is not to be thermometers that join the temperature of the culture. Our job is to be thermostats. We set the temperature. We say, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be set apart in this world. So it's so beautiful. Because of Jesus, we fight the good fight. It's a fight of faith. We flee things so that we can pursue things. Second, we keep ourselves set apart. We keep this confession, and we keep it spot. Now you say, well, Fusco, what's the confession? Well, it's simply that Jesus is king and lord. That's the confession. The confession is that Jesus is king and lord. Where do I get that from? Look at what it says, middle of verse 15. He who is the blessed and only potentate, that could also be translated sovereign, the ruler of rulers, the king of kings, the lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. See, really the confession that Timothy had and the confession that Jesus made before Pontius Pilate is the same confession that you and I should make, that Jesus should be our King and Lord. Listen to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. The heavens showed that the king was born, the the promised king, the Messiah, because the king of the Jews was gonna be the king of all. Jesus' confession before Pontius Pilate. Listen to this. This is John chapter 18, verses 33 to 37. This was at Jesus right before Jesus was crucified. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests have delivered you to me what have you done? And Jesus answered, now listen to this. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? This Jesus' answer. This is his confession. Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause, I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. See, Jesus said, listen, I am a king. This is the reason I was born. It's the reason we celebrate Christmas. It's the reason I'm here. And everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. And of course, in that powerful picture of John of Revelation 19, Where Jesus returns, Revelation 19, 16 says, and on, he has on his robe and on his thigh a name which is written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The King above every King. The Lord above every Lord. The confession that Timothy had at his baptism that Jesus gave before Pontius Pilate that Paul is telling Timothy we should have is the confession that Jesus is our King and our Lord. I love this. That he is the blessed and one and only sovereign. He's the only one. The only one to whom we give allegiance. The only one to whom we place our trust. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the one who holds immortality. And he dwells in unapproachable light. Now I know what's so cool about that? God dwells in unapproachable light. And God knows he's the only one who has immortality. So what does he do? He says, I, I'm an unapproachable light. You're not. I have immortality. You do not. That's the way it ought to be. No. Think about what Christmas is all about. God says, because I dwell in unapproachable light, I'm going to come and bring the light to you. That's what Christmas is about. It's about God looking at all of humanity in a broken world and saying, you can never make it to me, so I'm going to come to you. Because you are bound with mortality, I'm gonna bring immortality to you. So if you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus, I know some of you are like, Fusco, come on, man. Like You're giving us a hard time. He's our King and Lord. Like I go to Crossroads, man. We're like We love Jesus. Like We serve here. Come on, Fusco. But listen, if he is your King and Lord, praise God, he's supposed to be. But let's be honest. All of us have areas in our life that he is not the Lord over. All of us have... Issues that we're working through. What does it mean to be faithful to God in my finances, in the way that I steward my body, in the way that I, I, I talk to people? How do I deal with my employees or my employer? You know, we all have areas that God is doing a work. And if you're like, no, 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 Fusco, I got it all together. Just ask your spouse or your kids. They'll give you the list that you deserve to be on the naughty list. All of us have areas. So, So we believe in Jesus, but that... When we believe in Him and He is our Lord and He is our King, then there's that sanctification process.
0: Jesus is real. Can you relate to what Pastor Daniel was talking about at the end of this message? What are the areas in your life where you struggled to let Jesus be in charge? Maybe you want to control your finances. It could be about a relationship. Maybe it's about your job or where you live. Whatever it is, Pastor Daniel wants you to know that God longs to work in those areas to give you the freedom, peace, and joy that he died to bring. Hey, everybody, it's Pastor Daniel
1: Fusco here, lead pastor at Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. For those of you who are out of the area, and are unable to visit us in person, we would love for you to join us online for one of our Christmas Eve services at 1 p.m., 2.30 p.m., and 4 p.m. Pacific time at live.crossroadschurch.net. I know our service will encourage you with heartfelt worship and a message from the Vulnerable God series to inspire you with hope and joy in this season. Again, our service times are one. 2.30 and 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve online at live.crossroadschurch.net. Live.crossroadschurch.net.
0: I'll see you there. Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel wrapped up this Advent series called The Promised King. Throughout these messages, we pray you gained a fresh perspective on Jesus and the Christmas season. In our time together, you learned that Jesus came to bring his supernatural peace and love to earth. Not only does God want you to experience these in new ways for yourself, you can also partner with God as he gives them to others. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas.